Well, good evening and welcome to the 20th session of Revelation. This is the 20th time we've met to discuss Revelation together, and we're in chapter 18 tonight. So we are glad that you're here. Welcome to our, uh, to our Bible study, Wednesday night Bible study, and uh, a good crowd here tonight. Also, those joining us online, we always have a large number joining us online every Wednesday night. Glad that you're here as well, wherever you are and however you may be joining us and it's good to study God's Word together. It's also good to have a little rain today, wasn't it? So that was nice as well. And God always, uh, oh, no, you didn't get any rain? You need to pray harder. That's what you need to do. <laughs> all right. Well, it's good to see all of you. Let's pray together and we'll get started. Father, thank you tonight as we study your Word together. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable to us for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness Father, we especially thank you for revelation. Lord, a lot of it we don't understand, much of it we do, and we just know that through all of it, Father, that you are the one who is in control. The world is not out of control, it is in control, it's in your control, and we believe that tonight. And now, Lord, as we study Revelation 18, I pray the Holy Spirit would be our teacher, open up our minds and hearts to what we need to study and what we need to hear. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, as always, I'm using the ESV tonight, Revelation chapter 18, so turn there with me and we'll get started. First of all, we begin with a recap of where we are and how we got to chapter 18. Looking at the back, of course, the very last few chapters, God sent seven seal judgments upon the earth and then seven trumpet judgments upon the earth and then finally seven bowl judgments upon the earth and we talked about a bowl is not like we know like a bowl you eat cereal out of more like a saucer it's flatter they used to call them bowls in those days but it's much easier to fill up fill up and much easier to spill out when you tip it over so that was the image as the bowl judgments are poured out upon the earth uh, uh, as uh, out of uh, of course upon all of humanity God's judgment that's coming those seven uh, bold judgments nearing the end of the seven-year tribulation. Then after the last bold judgment, it ended with fire and storm and lightning and an earthquake. The worst earthquake that the world will ever know is the last part of the last bold judgment. So tonight we're looking at chapter 18, chapter 17 and 18 describes the fall of Babylon during those last days. Remember last week, chapter 17 was the political system, the one world system, and it's falling. And then tonight, chapter 18, is the actual city of Babylon itself that's going to fall. And so we'll talk more about that. So 17 and 18 doesn't really advance the chronology of the book. It just kind of stops for two chapters saying, oh, by the way, let us describe 17 and 18, the fall of the one world system and the fall of, um, of the city of Babylon itself. So looking at these two chapters, two, I believe, of the most difficult chapters in all of Revelation to interpret. And so uh, that's um, uh, 17 and 18. 17, of course, the religious, political, global system, one world system, and then personified as a woman, as a, as a prostitute, or as a harlot, and then chapter 18, the actual city of Babylon and the fall itself. So, let's look in uh, at, at, at uh, the, the recap of this. First of all, in looking at the recap here, I want us to talk about who is Babylon. 
Babylon is the one world system in chapter 17 and the city itself that falls in chapter 18. Well, there is no Babylon. If you look on a map, there is no physical location called Babylon. And there has not been since 539 B.C. when Babylon fell. They fell to Cyrus of Persia. Israel then was released from the Babylonian captivity, started going back 538 B.C., 539 B.C. in that time frame back to their homeland. But as you look at it, there is no place called Babylon on the map. So as you read Revelation, who's it talking about? So we know, obviously, it has to be symbolic. Remember, one of the hermeneutical principles from Revelation is if you can take a passage literally, you do take it literally. But if not, then it has to be symbolic. Well, Babylon's one of those because it doesn't exist. It's not on the map. hasn't existed since 500 years before Jesus came. So who's Babylon? Well, there are a lot of theories. One theory is it was the Roman Empire. Remember whenever John wrote this, Roman Empire was in control. They were persecuting Christians. So some scholars say he was simply writing to that time period. We can learn from it, but he was writing primarily to that time period and the Roman Empire and that the Roman Empire was going to fall with fire, which it did. So some people say, simple, it's Roman Empire. Well, maybe. Others say, number two, second theory is that it's the Roman Catholic Church. Because uh, you look at the history of Roman Catholicism, there are things that line up a little bit with what's said in here. So uh, a lot of people say, well, it's talking about Roman Catholicism. And it did, as a system, fall. And, of course, Protestantism, you know, they say exposed Roman Catholicism and the fallacies there and the corruption there. Well, we don't know that, but I just want you to know there are some people that do believe it is the Roman Catholic Church, Babylon is. Third theory is that it's Islam. It is the culture of Islam, the nature of Islam, and the, the nat uh, nation and, and um, uh, belief system of Islam. Some people say that the Babylon is Islam, Muslims that will fall and, 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 and of course, be defeated. And then God, the only one and true living God, Yahweh, is the one that will reign supreme. Possible. But there's a fourth theory that I think is more plausible, and a lot of Bible scholars do as well. Some don't, but some do. And that is that there will be a city rebuilt on the old site of Babylon during the last days that will function as the worldwide headquarters for the Antichrist. I think that's a much more plausible theory. First of all, because if it can be taken literally, take it literally, and it's talking about a literal city known as Babylon, and it's, you, you look at the description of it, it sounds like where the old Babylon site was. So a lot of people believe that there will be, I'm, I'm not saying it's going to be that way, I'm saying I lean toward that way, that there, there will be a, a city built on the old site of the old Babylon that will serve as the headquarters of the Antichrist. Where is the old Babylon? Well, from our studies, uh, you have heard that uh, it is about 60 miles south of Baghdad, uh, Iraq today. Uh, it's near the city of Hilla, H-I-L-L-A-H, Hilla, 
Iraq, or about a population of about 365,000, so, so a rather large city. Uh, that's where the Ishtar Gate is. Also, just um, that's kind of, kind of interesting, also the tradition of where the prophet Ezekiel's buried in, in Hilla, in, the, in, the, in that, uh, that region there. So, don't know if that's where Ezekiel was buried or not, but, but we do know that that's where it's possible that Babylon could be rebuilt. Now, if you remember, we did talk about 1980, Saddam Hussein started rebuilding the new Babylon, and he called it the new Babylon on the site of the old Babylon. Uh, he inscribed his name on bricks. He built up these uh, modern palaces that are still there to this day. He was ready to begin construction of the cable car system over the new Babylon whenever war broke out and his, uh, his building stopped. Today, Iraqi officials have opened it up to tourism, uh, and there is some talk today that the United Nations is going to take it over, which makes Revelation much more interesting as well, that the United Nations talking about taking over this old site, restoring Babylon as an international site and cultural center. So that's, that's possible as well. So I believe that it's possible that could be rebuilt and serve as the headquarters. And so we're talking then, if that's true, about that new city that's south of Baghdad that will be built, that will be the national headquarters, worldwide headquarters for the Antichrist. Now, let's talk a little bit about Babylon in Scripture. Babylon is talked about all through the Bible. You remember last week I said that it's mentioned 300 times in the Bible, which is the city mentioned the most in the Bible outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's mentioned the most, but Babylon is mentioned the second most. And if you remember, it started in Genesis 10:11 with Babel. The root name of the word Babylon is Babel. You remember in Genesis 10, the Tower of Babel. Man was going to try to build this tower to heaven. Man didn't need God, mankind thought. So let's build a tower to heaven. We don't need God. We can just bypass God and, and we will build a tower to heaven. So they start building the old, the old ziggurat trying to make its way to heaven. God came down, confused the languages, why it was called Babel, and it became known as Babel at that point, which began to be a symbol all throughout Scripture of trying to achieve without God, trying to make your own way, man's efforts, or not needing God. That became a symbol for any, any culture or anything opposing God became known as a Babylon. Uh, now, it, of course, provided the backdrop for Daniel and for Revelation both. But let's go back just a moment to the founding of Babel. You remember who founded it? Nimrod. The Bible said a great man and a great, great hunter before the Lord. So today, in our English language, if a person is a Nimrod, that means they're skilled at hunting. And it goes back to Genesis 10. So Nimrod, a great man, established Babel and Akkad, which became part of the Akkadian Empire, Four cities in the land of Shinar were told in Genesis 10, 9 and 10. So Nimrod founded Babel. And as ancient folklore goes, Nimrod's wife, Semiramis, established a false religion in, in, uh, Babylon, in Babel. 
And so elements of false religion entered into mythology very early in Babel where it became synonymous with false worship. So Babel and all through Scripture has been kind of a code word for anything that opposes God or anything that is mankind's human efforts to try to achieve uh, his own way. So with that in mind, let's go now to chapter 18, letter B on your outline, the fall of Babylon, and let's look at all 24 verses of uh, chapter 18. Now, before we do, remember the Antichrist. He comes up with counterfeits for God. Remember, he tried to have a false trinity. Uh, he resurrected a false prophet, like Jesus, tried to imitate that. He has a false capital now, Babylon, as opposed to God's uh, city, Jerusalem, which after this, we're going to hear about the new Jerusalem. So, again, in opposition, everything God has, he tries to imitate it. Now, if you remember last week, we talked a little bit about, this is a little hard to imagine sometimes, all of this whole system together, you're kind of going, how in the world is it even plausible for it to happen? And remember, I put out a scenario, not saying it's going to happen this way, but a possible scenario of how you could see it happening, coming to pass. For example, um, let's just imagine, I'm not saying this is how it's going to be, just imagine the Antichrist is a Russian despot from the north, like Ezekiel 38 and 39 says. Um, he aligns himself with Islam, the oil-producing countries of the Middle East. He adopts Islam as his religion and as his culture. He rakes in billions and billions of dollars generated from oil from the Middle East. He turns against Israel, so even the radical Islamists follow him. And so now he has support of all the Middle East. The world jumps in. They support him as well. But he doesn't want the interference. He wants to be worshipped himself. So he flings off the Islamic nations, flings off Islam like an old jacket. Uh, and he strips Islam of their wealth and then renounces and rejects it all and sets himself up as the one to be worshipped. You can imagine how it's much more plausible, isn't it, that something like that could happen. I also mentioned last week one of the reasons that this storyline is kind of interesting is how Islam says the world's going to end. You know how what their revelation sounds like. They say the world is going to be in chaos. The Islamic Messiah is going to appear. He is called, instead of Messiah, he's called Mahdi, M-A-H-D-I, which means uh, the rightly guided one. The Mahdi is going to appear in world history. The world's going to be in chaos. He's going to establish the Islamic kingdom and impose Sharia law on the entire world, and the world's going to live in peace under the Islamic rule. So if you kind of put together what they think, say is going to happen in the end times with Revelation, it's very plausible how you could imagine a scenario like this working out. So with that in mind, let's go to chapter 18. The last bold judgment ends with a catastrophic earthquake, and a result of the earthquake is Babylon is destroyed, which I tend to believe it may be the actual city in southern Iraq. Now, during the end times, Babylon is going to be 
symbol of, uh, of um, wealth, of uh, commerce. Like, for example, you say Wall Street. Well, there is a Wall Street in New York, but it's symbolic of our economic culture. Very much the same with Babylon. It probably will be a city, but it will also be symbolic of worldwide influence and affluence, and the entire world will be centered upon Babylon. When the earthquake hits, and God destroys it. Now we pick up chapter 18, but I want you to notice something. Did you notice that 18 is written in your Bible like a poem? Did you notice that? It's not in block style. It's written more like a poem. The reason is, it is a funeral dirge. It is the funeral service for Babylon. So that's why it's in the form of a poem, uh, a poem structure, or the form of a funeral lament, or a funeral dirge. So, chapter 18, verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. Who's the other angel? Well, there had been an angel at the last bowl of judgment. Now John saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. Now, this is going to be an angel that is so brilliant, fresh from the presence of God, that it glowed with the Shekinah glory of God. This is the most spectacular angel ever described in Scripture. Because of that, some people think it's Jesus. I don't, because no angel, Jesus is not called an angel in the New Testament. He's Jesus. Now, he is the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, but he is not called an angel in the New Testament. So, I don't think it's Jesus. I, I think it's just an angel that is dazzling white, extreme radiance that, that emanates from him because he's been in God's presence. Now, if there's been a storm on the earth, and if there's been earthquake and fires and smoke it's going to be darkened upon the earth when all of a sudden into this semi-dark earth, this dazzling, brilliant angel appears, dispelling the darkness and showing light. Verse 2, he calls out with a mighty voice because of the way it's worded. Some Bible scholars believe that the entire world will hear it and see it. If that's true, imagine every person on planet earth hears what the angel says. Now, we don't know for sure, but because of the way it's worded, some Bible scholars believe every, the entire world will see the brilliance and will hear the voice. Is it possible for God to have an angel speak with the entire world hears it? Absolutely. We don't know but if it's going to happen that way or not, but some believe it is. He calls out with a mighty voice, and he says, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt 
for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. Now, first of all, when something is repeated in Scripture, what does it mean? Emphasis. Whatever you say, it gets stronger. Now, in English, we emphasize it with our word inflections. We, that's how we emphasize a word. Uh, but in Greek, they emphasize it by repeating the word. So when it says fallen, fallen, it's emphasized. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. And notice it's past tense. That hadn't happened yet. That is called in Greek the prophetic aorist, which means you describe something in the past tense like it's already happened, but it hadn't happened yet. God does that several times in Scripture and does it again here. Fallen is Babylon, and she has become a dwelling place for demons. So Babylon had risen to the greatest heights of idolatry and luxury, the center of false religion, center of economic prosperity, and now in one instant it becomes a haunt for demons and the unclean. How do we know that it happened suddenly? Because we're told a little bit later that it happened like that, earthquake, and it was destroyed. So just that quickly, Babylon goes from being the height to a haunt for demons. Verse 3, for all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Remember in the last chapter, Babylon is described as a harlot. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. So here's the picture. The new Babylon is going to be the economic headquarters of the world, whether it's a one world system, whether it's a common currency, whatever it is. And the entire world, if they fall in line with the new Babylon, will get wealthy also. And God described it as having a sexual relationship with Babylon. They've committed adultery with her, and they've gotten rich. So the world leaders and the major world powers will all go to Babylon and do business back and forth, and they'll get wealthy. So during the tribulation time, Babylon will become the center for worldwide affluence and the center also of demonic activity. Can you imagine in one location the center of all the demons of hell and all the wealth of the world? That's a bad combination, isn't it? It's going to happen. It's going to happen in the tribulation times. Go to verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, it must be another angel. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. So what that means is evidently there will be 
Christians living in the city of Babylon when it falls. And God calls his believers out of there saying, get out of there fast before it's destroyed with fire. What does that sound like? Lot. And Sodom and Gomorrah, remember that? Hurry, Lot, you and your family, get out of there. God's about to destroy this wicked place. And he got them out. And, and Lot's wife was so entangled and not wanting to leave that culture. She turned around and looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. And now at the end times, at the last Babylon, there will be Christians who evidently love that culture. Love the affluence. And God's saying, get out, my people. This is about to be destroyed. Now, if we're at the end of the tribulation, who are the Christians there? Either one of two options. Either we've not been taken yet in the rapture, and we do go through the tribulation, Christians. Or, secondly, Jews who got saved during the tribulation, the 144,000, they got saved in the tribulation. Maybe some of them made their way to Babylon to live. We don't know. But we do know that at that time, inconceivable, that believers in Jesus would lo love living there. When it's the haunt for demons and worldwide power, what are they doing there? But he calls them out. Come out over my people, lest you take part in what's going on. And so verse 4, he calls his own Christians out of there. Verse 5. For her sins, talking about, about Babylon, are heaped high as heaven. Wait a minute. You remember Babel? What did Babel try to do back in Genesis 10? Build a tower to heaven. And now the new Babylon has sins stacked up as high as heaven. Interesting how it's worded, isn't it? For her sins are heaped high as heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. Now, folks, it may look like God's not paying attention. But he is. It may look like right now in our world, God's not paying attention. But he is. And it's going to look like for seven years... God's not paying attention in the tribulation, but he is. And it tells us at the end of verse 5, God has remembered her iniquities. And everything the world has coming to it is going to come. Now, here's one thing I find interesting. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, we are told as believers, God will remember their iniquities no more. And now Babylon, God will remember her iniquities. I am so glad I'm in Christ because whenever you're in Christ, your iniquities are not remembered. They're forgotten. But when you're not in Christ, your iniquities are remembered to the very last one. I just find it very interesting that in, at the end of verse 5, 
juxtapose that, remember every iniquity of Babylon to Hebrews 8.12. God will remember your iniquities, believers, no more. Verse 6. Pay her back. Talking about Babylon. She herself has paid back others. Repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she has mixed. Now, verse 6, the first word there, the first two words, or three words, pay her back, is only one word in Greek. It's the word apodidomi. Uh, and it means to pay a debt or give back what is due. So, what God's saying is Babylon, for all these years in business now, has cheated all the world and gotten wealthy. And now all that cheating is going to come back to her. All the bill's going to come due. And Babylon's going to pay. Now, if you go all the way back to the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 22, verses 4 through 9, they had in the Old Testament law what was known as the law of lex talionis. That is the law of retaliation. Something happens to you, you get it back, same thing back. Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The law of retaliation. You do something, you get the same thing done to you. Jesus kind of abrogated that law for believers, but now if you come back to the very end, the law comes back on Babylon, doesn't it? Pay her back. Pay her back for what she's done. All the cheating she's done. The rooster is what the hens are coming back to roost or something like that. That's exactly what's going to happen. The cup she used to seduce other people, she's going to be seduced by. So it's all going to come back. Pay her back. It's payday. And Babylon gets it all paid back. Verse 7. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since her heart, and in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see, but she did. You know what I find, I find interesting about this? This is kind of the Old Testament pattern of cities that were doomed Kind of the same way. It kind of sounds like, and we're going to see in just a moment, it sounds like the destruction of Tyre in Ezekiel chapter 27. That's what it's going to sound like in a moment. But already you get a feel that Babylon is going to be destroyed, much like Old Testament cities were destroyed whenever they went against God. In fact, verse 7 sounds like when Babylon fell the first time in 539 B.C. in the Old Testament. That's what it sounds like. But it also kind of sounds like the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3 as well. Go to verse 8. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning, famine, shall be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. So, one morning, people wake up, Babylon is thriving, it's the capital of the world, inter, inter, uh, 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 trade and commerce and interstate commerce, bustling, hustling, people coming and going, three-piece suits, everybody wealthy, and then boom, earthquake, it's destroyed. 
You know, something happened very similar in 2001, didn't it? World Trade Center, 8.30 in the morning. It's bustling in the center of commerce of our nation. 9.10 in the morning, it's rubble. I know you probably remember where you were when you're watching on television. I do. I remember where I was watching on television. Mouths open as a plane slams into it and the building begins to crumble and you're going, oh my goodness, you know there's people in there and you're just in shock. It's going to happen again. Babylon. Can you imagine the news networks, major earthquake in Babylon and the city is destroyed. Imagine the upheaval happening all around the world as, as the ground is shuddering and super volcanoes are beginning to erupt as aftershocks and global cities are collapsing and mammoth fires are, are raging. It's going to be the end of the world, folks, because right after this, Jesus comes back in the next chapter. This is it. This is it. Kings and presidents and world leaders shaking their heads with mouths open going, I can't believe it. Sudden in a single day, gone. Verse 9. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. I can just imagine the news networks quickly going from one shot to another shot to another shot, watching the world leaders as they're watching Babylon in flames. And then verse 10, they will stand afar off in fear of her torment. Standing afar off because the heat's too, too strong to get near Babylon and the smoke is too intense. Some Bible scholars believe rather than an earthquake, it's going to be a nuclear attack because some of this sounds as if a nuclear attack, but it could also be fire from an earthquake. But they stand away from her and they say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. Babylon was strong. But her judge was stronger. And in a single hour, God brings the world and the world system to nothing. Verse 11. The merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Verse 12. Cargo of gold and Silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, Sheep, horses, chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. Stop there for a moment. 
As you look at, at verses 11 through 13, the merchants are going to be unable to buy and sell. Not only have they lost customers, they've also lost profit. Like those, by the way, talking about irony and something coming back on you. The exact same thing that happened to those who didn't take the mark of the beast earlier, right? Law of Lex Talionis comes back to them. Now, as you look at the list, verses 12 and 13, 29 different articles are mentioned. Do you notice any, anything about those 29? Maybe you want to make a guess? They're all luxuries. They're not necessities. They're all luxuries. In John's day, every one of these were luxuries of the wealthy. So he's listing 29 items that are all gone from the rich and famous. Seven categories of the 29, precious metals and gems, clothing, furnishings, spices, food, animals and implements, and people. Now, what I find the most interesting is slavery is going to return. Did you notice Babylon had slaves? Human souls, it says. Is that human trafficking? Could be. Human trafficking is rampant worldwide right now. Could be. But slaves will be in the new Babylon as well. Verse 14. The fruit for which your soul longed for has gone from you. And all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. A couple of points, and I'll move on. I know we're running short on time. One point is the word fruit there at the beginning of 14 is the word for autumn fruit. Not, some, not spring fruit, autumn fruit. So it's at the back end of the season right before it gets rotten. So the, your fruit for which you're so long for is rottening. And look at the last part where it says, and, and your delicacies and splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. That's called a double negative in Greek. Literally means no, not never. I know that's terrible English, but it's good Greek. No, not never. And, and only a few times in, in, the, in, the, in the Greek New Testament is a double negative in there, and it's, it's for extreme emphasis. So what it's saying is, Babylon, you're going to fall, and you will never, never, no, not never Rise again, you're sunk. Go to the verse 15. The merchants of these wares who gain wealth from her will stand afar off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. You know what that sounds like? That is the exact description of the harlot in chapter 17, verse 4. Verse 17. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea, stood off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. So get this picture. You see, how do you deal 
worldwide with Babylon, you, you ship your cargo in, you ship your cargo out. So there are ships on the sea going back and forth. And so there are ships coming into harbor going, what is that? What is that fire? And they get closer and they go, oh, that's Babylon. And it says they're shipmasters, that's the helmsmen, the seafaring men and, and the passengers and the sailors, and those whose trade is on the sea, that'd be the fishermen, the pearl divers. Those on the ships are looking and watching it burn just aghast at what's happening. They cry out, verse 18, as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like this great city? Stop there for a moment. Go back to Ezekiel 27, verse 32. City of Tyre is about to be judged by God. It was a port city. With kind of an, it was an island city. It kind of, kind of like Galveston. You, know, you can make your way out into an island, but the city also is in the land. And God brought judgment against Tyre for their deeds and as Tyre was being destroyed in verse 27, verse 32, it says, what city was like this great city? In the exact same words will be said over Babylon. Verse 19, and they threw dust on their heads. That's what they did Old Testament morning. They wept and mourned, crying out, alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour, she has been laid waste. They all mention that single hour, don't they? It happened so suddenly. Verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. So notice the scene shifts. First 19 verses, Babylon's burning. Verse 20, the scene shifts to heaven, and an angel shows a party going on. They're rejoicing, yes, yay, yay, Babylon fell and everything that stands against God has fallen and God reigns supreme. And all of heaven's rejoicing while the world is mourning over the burning of Babylon. It's amazing when that happens. You know, sometimes whenever, whenever something happens here, people mourn over, God rejoices over. And that's what happened here. Verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. Now, before we go on, stop verse 21. Very interesting. John sees a mighty angel grab a millstone. A millstone back in these days weighed several thousand pounds. It was about a foot thick and uh, about three to, four, three, to four, uh, three to four feet in diameter. Picks up a millstone. As you know, the Bible talks about millstones, and Jesus mentioned that. A millstone will be taken by an angel and thrown into the sea and says, just as that millstone is sinking to the bottom and will never rise to the surface, so Babylon as a city will sink never to rise again. But here's what I find interesting. You remember in Jeremiah chapter 51, verses 61 to 64, Jeremiah prophesied against Babylon, the real Babylon, that the, the one we know was there just before. 
They were at the, time, at the height of their power. And Jeremiah in chapter 51 prophesied against it. And he told a man by the name of Saraiah, Saraiah, come here. When I finish prophesying from this book, I want you to take it, wrap it up. Throw it in the Euphrates River. Because that's going to be a sign that Babylon will sink and rise no more. We have it again. Once again, the exact same. This time an angel throws a millstone as a symbol that the words have been tied up. It's done. It's finished. And it, Babylon will never rise again. Now look at verse 21. So Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be hurting you no more. It used to be a musical center. Everybody would come there for the, for the concerts. And now, music silent. Verse 20, um, 23, And the light of a lamp will shine on you no more, and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be hurting you no more. There will be no more weddings there. For your merchants were the ones of the earth, and the nations were deceived by your sorcery. Now, I know we're up against the clock, but I'll mention one more thing. The word sorcery that's used there in the Greek language is the word pharmakia. P-H-A-R-M-A-K-I-A. What does it sound like? It sounds like pharmacy because that's where we get our word pharmacies from is pharmakia, and it means drugs. So there are those Bible scholars who believe because of the one reference at the end of verse 23 that not only will Babylon also be the worldwide center for commerce, it's going to be the greatest drug cartel the world's ever known. And that's how they seduced people was through drug use. Verse 24, And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who've been slain on the earth. And then the chapter closes. Now, the next thing that happens is this. That was the final blow. The kingdoms of the world have been thrown down. Jesus comes back. King of kings, lion and the lamb, who once came to earth as a baby in a manger, will now come back as mighty warrior, conquering king, to bring the drama of the ages to consummation. And that's where we'll pick up next week. Well, we're two minutes past, so again, we have no time for questions. Sorry about that. It's convenient how we always end, isn't it, where you don't get a chance to ask questions. You're always welcome to ask me afterwards or email me if you want. Be glad to answer those. Let's pray and we'll close. Father, thank you that justice is always done and thank you that you, the God of justice, God, that, that you will remember sins no more. Uh, you will remember sins of the, of the Babylonians, but you remember our sins no more. So praise God for that. Lord, thank you for Jesus, the conquering king who will return. Help us to walk with you even this week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you Sunday.